The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Roto World Football Podcast. As you can probably tell, these are not the dulcet tones of one Josh Norris. My name is Raymond Summerlin, and I'm filling in for Josh this week as he scurries about to get ready for the NFL draft, which is now less than a month away. I'll be joined on this episode by fellow Roto-World writer Pat Darty to discuss the biggest news and free agent additions over the last couple weeks. But before we get to that, let's talk about how you can help the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you find it. Doing all three helps us in the rankings and helps other people find the podcast. Leaving a review could also get you a shout-out, like the one I'm giving right now to Big Ben 9 who thinks the half-hour episodes we have been churning out are perfect. We appreciate the feedback, Big Ben 9 and we will do our best to keep it as close as we can. With that in mind, let's get started. As I said before, I'm joined today by fellow Roto-World writer and Boardwalk Empire character Pat Darty, <laughs> who you might know better as Roto-Pat on the Twitter machine. I appreciate you taking a break from covering Jaguars press conferences to uh, talk some news with me, Pat. Uh, it's Jaguars and Titans press conference. Oh, I forgot about uh, the important Mike Malarkey yeah, press conference. I'm going to say I'm glad we're here making history. You know, this is uh, I think this is the first fantasy football podcast in history. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I. I had vaguely heard of another one, but yeah, I've, yeah, I think you know, I, I think some people have been planning to maybe make ones, but I think we're the first to actually get in the game, so very excited. You know, original ideas—that's what—that's what we got. All right, well, let's get to it. The biggest news of the last couple of weeks is certainly the signing of former savior of Washington, Robert Griffin III, who joined the Browns on a two-year, fifteen million dollar deal, which is really a one-year, six point seven five million dollar addition. I guess the first things first. Why do you think the Browns made this move, and do you like the addition? I guess i got to have my first quick aside here. I love how every NFL contract basically, basically uses, like, Enron accounting, where you can never <laughs> – the reported number is never, ever what it seems. You can never trust the initially reported number, and that now well, – you know, at least now we've all know that and come to expect that. But, uh, yeah, so really unnecessary tangent there. But, you know, Robert Griffin to the Browns, it's kind of one of the things where the optics of this – you know, are like so ridiculous. It's like, you know, like seriously, Robert Griffin III and the Cleveland Browns, like it has disaster written all over it. But, you know, I feel like when you really kind of dig into it and you know, he didn't have a whole lot of options, I think this is maybe as good a possible landing spot as he could have found. You know, the fact that he's getting Hugh Jackson's kind of personal stamp of approval is just huge. You know, it's a guy who's had success with run-heavy offenses, with pass-heavy offenses. He revived Carson Palmer's career. He coaxed career year out of Andy Dalton, you know, who we were already, 
you know, we consider like the line of demarcation for mediocrity. And I think if, he, if Robert Griffin III is going to work with one guy who might save his career, I think you'd probably put Hugh Jackson near the top of the list. And you, know, you got to remember that, you know, as Chris Westling puts it, you know, Robert Griffin III was a lost and broken quarterback the last time we saw him. So it's still kind of maybe a shot in the dark in some regards, but he's still only 26. He's had a year to get healthy and, the raw talent is just so prodigious that I am honestly, for better or worse, I am cautiously optimistic about Robert Griffin in Cleveland. You know, I am I kind of am as well. Like you said, Hugh Jackson makes me feel better. I agree completely that Griffin was completely broken in 2014. I never particularly liked him so much as a passer. I mean, I, I saw concerns with, with him as a thrower, even when he was setting all those records as a rookie. And I was, you know, obviously laughed off Twitter for those concerns, but we've seen them, you know, we've seen them kind of manifest themselves, but with Hugh Jackson, I mean, he's, you have a coach that really believes in, you know, creative offense. They ran a lot of package run pass options with Andy Dalton last year. And those are the type of plays that I think Robert Griffin could really thrive in. You know, it forces him to make one read, make a quick decision, get the ball to where it needs to go, whether that's, you know, a slant or to the running back or even keeping it himself. And he should have, if he's healthy enough, opportunities to run. Andy Dalton, believe it or not, over the last two seasons, has the fifth most rushing attempts by any quarterback. Some of those are scrambles, and Andy Dalton is more athletic than he probably gets credit for. But a lot of those were on some designed runs, which Griffin could could really benefit from. So I think that this is really a good move for him, but he is going to have to beat out a rookie. I still think, and and I guess we can get your take on this. I still think they take a quarterback at number two overall, and that quarterback is going to come in and be a guy that also was handpicked by Hugh Jackson. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Is this a give Griffin the audition for training camp and then, and then let the rookie sit and see what happens? Or, or is this a situation where it's a true competition? So do you see them picking a rookie at number two still? And uh, what do you think, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, I mean, I do. You know, this, the Cleveland Browns, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns trying to solve quarterback is from like one of the 21st century's like great problems. It's not, it's not quite peace in the Middle East, but uh, it's up there. And I don't think... You know, they're going to go all in on Robert Griffin III. So, you know, I agree they'll probably take Carson Wentz, Jared Goff. And I think, you know, maybe they'll lean Carson Wentz. You know, I think that would have to help uh, Robert Griffin. She got the guy making an adjustment from, you know, FCS, college football, to the NFL. And, yeah, I think RG3 Browns is probably kind of a marriage of convenience. Where there's an under, understanding on both sides. You know, this could just be a one-year thing where, like, you know, you, we have you this year as we try to groom Carson Wentz and, you can try to rehab your value, and maybe next year we'll go our separate ways. And so, yeah, it's not a, even a guarantee. You know, these days every rookie quarterback starts. So even if Robert Griffin has a strong camp and they draft an FCS quarterback, it's still not a guarantee Robert Griffin starts. But I think today probably the most likely scenario is that they draft Carson Wentz and RG3 at least gets a few starts at the beginning of the season to kind of prove himself. And I really like that. You know, you mentioned the approach, and I, I'm kind of looking at it as a – you know, a shotgun approach, just fire up in the air and and see what falls down. And that's the approach they need at quarterback. They need to take as many shots as they can get because this franchise, and I think you saw in the way they handled free agency, they understand this. They're not going anywhere without a quarterback. 
They have to find a quarterback. And I guess the best way to find one is to take as many shots as you possibly can. I mean, where Robert Griffin III's coming from in Washington, they took two quarterbacks that year. They traded a lot of things to get Robert Griffin, but they still took Kirk Cousins. In Seattle, they signed Matt Flynn to a big contract, but in the third round, they took Russell Wilson, and we saw how that worked out. So in these situations, I think you need to take as many shots as you can and it looks like that's probably what they're going to do. And I I hope that's what they do. And I hope that works out for them from a fantasy perspective. If Griffin wins the job, are you going to be interested at all? Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, we've seen, we know the upsides there. I mean, we know the, an absolutely insane downside is there, but you know, especially, you know, the real concern about Robert Griffin, the third is that he didn't just, you know, look bad on the regular season field, even last preseason. I mean, he was, was basically unwatchable. I mean, the defenses just had no respect. They were just teeing off on him. I mean, they you know they saw a quarterback who had no confidence and someone that could basically just blitz with impunity. So, you know, at the very least, we need to see him look good in the preseason. But you know, if he has a nice preseason and he is under center in Week One, you know, I don't see how you can't. You know, you have to be really cynical not to have at least a little bit of optimism because you know this is a guy who had arguably the greatest dual threat season in NFL history. He's still only 26 and it's one of the most creative offensive minds, in the NFL and Hugh Jackson. And like you said, Hugh even had Andy Dalton running a lot. And yeah, I'm not going to, it's certainly not going to be like my lone quarterback, but especially if you're one of those people who goes like really hardcore late round QB and you're mixing and matching. I think Robert, I think there's a good chance Robert Griffin will be worth a late round draft pick. Aside from Griffin, the question I've been pondering the most since free agency began, is why do the Dolphins hate Jay Ajahi? Uh, Fifth-round pick last year, he slid down draft boards because of concerns about his knee, but those are long-term concerns. He flashed in limited work last year. He's undoubtedly a talented back, but Miami does not seem to care. They've attempted to bring in several veterans, most notably C.J. Anderson and Chris Johnson. They struck out on both those guys, but now they are flirting with Arian Foster, who is soon to be 30 and is coming off an Achilles tear. It is clear to me the Dolphins are going to add another back. Do you think it ultimately will be Foster, and do you think he has anything left? Yeah, yeah. with the JHI, you know, like you said, it's, it's, on the surface it's a bit baffling while the Dolphins you know, aren't more uh, you know, seemingly bullish on JHI, but like you alluded to, I guess they just can't get you know, the phrase bone on bone out of their minds. Which, can, can any of us? Yeah, which is apparently, <laughs> which is apparently you know, the state of one of Ajayi's knees. And you know, so it's fair to have durability concerns about Jay Ajayi, obviously. But then, again, like you said, if you have durability concerns, why are you bringing in Mr. Soft t- Tissue Injury and Arian Foster, who, oh, by the way, is about to t- turn 30 and is recovering from a torn Achilles tendon? So... If you're worried about durability in the backfield, I'm not really sure why you're going to pair Arian Foster with Jay Ajayi, but I do agree they're going to add another back. Uh, This being the Dolphins, who their number one qualification for signings and draft picks seems to be that you be a big name. Uh, I think there's a pretty decent chance they sign Arian Foster. Uh, I do not think Arian Foster really has anything left. I mean... He said, you know, we're both, I'm about to turn 30. I believe you're 30. We still have a lot of life. We still have a lot of life to live. But when you're an NFL running back and you're 30, you know, that's just about over. And even last year before the Achilles, you know, I didn't really see Aaron Foster getting in the second level. I kind of saw him running into piles and not emerging. And I think if he ends up in the Dolphins, that's a situation I'm just going to steer completely clear of. You know, I actually think Foster landing in Miami 
as long as it means they don't draft Ezekiel Elliott high, which I think is still a possibility at pick number 13 if he lasts that long. I actually think this could be a best-case scenario for Jay Ajahi because there's there's almost no way Arian Foster plays 16 games. I mean, he's played 25 games the last three seasons, and now he's coming off one of the most difficult injuries to come back from as a running back, and he's turning 30. So I look at this and I think, if they are going to add a veteran back, and it looks like they're going to add somebody, I don't know who, but if they're going to add a veteran back, I think this is probably the best case scenario for Ajahi because if you're a dynasty owner of him, like like I am, then you're looking at a situation where, sure, maybe he doesn't start the first four or five games, but almost certainly he's going to get starts somewhere during the season, and he's clearly talented enough to go through and take advantage of those starts. So I'm actually looking at this as a a bit of a positive for Ajahi if Arian Foster is the guy. Yeah, I'd say that's a very good take because, I mean, there's even, you know, what are the odds Arian Foster is even ready for week one? I mean, it's probably very low, like 5 to 10%. I mean, this could almost be like a reserve pup type situation where he misses six games. And, you know, if that's the case, even if it's not Ezekiel, I'm, I bet they'll probably draft a running back. But, like you say, yeah, if they sign Arian Foster, that probably is a good sign for Jay Ajayi's prospects and uh, yeah, more reason to uh, be optimistic than worried. The Cowboys also dipped into the perhaps done running back market by <laughs> signing Alfred Morris to a two-year, $3.5 million contract, which is very similar to the deal Darren McFadden signed last offseason. I guess the biggest question right off the bat is what role do you see Morris earning in this backfield? Yeah, you know, clearly he's going to be a two-down banger type. And, you know, with Alfred Morris, you know, sometimes I think the notion that all running backs are kind of plug-and-play and, you know, system-reliant type players can be a bit overplayed, a bit overhyped. But, you know, really how can you reach any other conclusion about Alfred Morris who, you know, two years in Mike Shanahan's zone-blocking behemoth, he averaged almost five yards per carry. And then the past two years in Jay Gruden's power scheme, he – couldn't even, you know, couldn't even clear four yards per carry. So you know, he's a guy where I think we kind of saw why he was a sixth-round draft pick. You know, he needs perfect conditions to succeed. But you know, that brings us to the Cowboys, who you know might offer the perfect conditions to succeed. They have you know, one of the league's most dominant offensive lines. They use some zone blocking concepts, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think best case scenario for him is probably two down banger because you know he is there a running back in the league that has worse hands than Alfred Morris? Andre Williams. I say you know if, if Alfred Morris can split the difference between his first two years and his past years, I consider that a big success, and I think that would be enough to make him fantasy viable as probably a lower end RB two, like one of those guys that you're not super psyched about playing, but you can plug him in with a reasonable bet for a touchdown or two. But so yeah, I mean we're never going to see a return. The, the the form of those first two seasons, but you know, knowing what we know right now today, I mean, this is before the draft, before, you know, maybe they take another veteran flyer. I think the road to RB2 value is, you know, there's not that many obstacles for it, I think, actually. Yeah, and I agree with you, and I'm probably a little rosier on Alfred Morris. I think the the thing I took out of last season is that he was actually more effective than Matt Jones, who is a guy that the Redskins are going to you know, pin all of their backfield hopes on it, looks like. So when you're looking at him, he wasn't a good fit in that offense. He wasn't a good fit in that power running scheme. I think that we kind of knew that once Jay Gruden took over, and it got worse last year as they transitioned into more of that scheme, and obviously they had a bunch of injuries along the offensive line. Now, as you said, he's coming back to this 
kind of maybe not perfect, but close to perfect situation with a great offensive line, a scheme he should work in. You know, Darren McFadden is a, you know, a threat to his workload, but you could certainly see a situation where Morris kind of plays the role that Joseph Randall played early last season. And Darren McFadden goes back to more of that third down and change of pace kind of running back guy that he was before. Cause as you mentioned, Alfred Morris is not going to be involved in the past game. And then if Lance Dunbar comes back, he can also do some of that work. So I do see a scenario here where Alfred Morris is a bounce back guy where he can come in and really surprise some people. If you get them later in drafts, the problem is I'm pretty sure the Cowboys are going to take a running back, even if it's not Ezekiel Elliott number four, which definitely is not going to happen now, but they're probably going to look to take a running back. Maybe even on day two, maybe a guy like Utah's Devonte Booker or Kenneth Dixon or somebody like that. But I thought the same thing last year and they came out of the draft not taking a running back. So who knows Who knows what they're going to do? I would say right now I'm cautiously optimistic about Alfred Morris. I do think, like you said, there's some running back to uh, upside here, but I will definitely wait until after the draft, until I make my, my final conclusion on, on what I think about Alfred Morris. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree, too, that there's very high odds they might take a back, which is why, you know, if you're a fantasy guy, a good fantasy guy, you always got to add a caveat. So that's why I added the caveat, what we know today. But yeah, what we know today could be very different a month from now. So yeah, reasons for cautious optimism. I'm an Alfred Morris dynasty owner for some reason, actually. I think, I think the Cowboys were about why? Yeah, it was, I had him from the initial launch up draft in 2013. Right, that's fair. That's so fair. yeah, so I mean, that's about as good. You know, I thought the Cowboys was the best case scenario there. But I do agree that the best case could become a considerably worse case in the 30 days. So yeah, I'm not making any final conclusions. You know, nothing has made me more prepared for marriage than being a fantasy writer. All of those caveats, baby. Caveats, hedges, maybes. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh... You know, maybe maybe we can see your maybe we could see your mom this weekend. Maybe I don't know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, so, in perhaps the, the greatest day of Jared, Jared Cook Truther's lives. <laughs> Uh, the confounding should-be playmaker signed a one-year incentive-laden deal with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, who he made pretty clear that was one of the reasons he signed with Green Bay. Cook has struggled with drops and inconsistent play throughout his entire career, but do you see a chance he turns it around with Aaron Rodgers? To be honest, I honestly don't. And you know, I know the narrative since he signed has been you know, look at the truly horrendous quarterbacks he played with. I mean, it's a it's a valid point. I mean, he literally has played with Rusty Smith at one point in his Do career. Do you want a list? Yeah, I, I, know. List. I saw it. I, I saw your list. Yeah, you might as well read it. Yeah, this is who Jared Cook has caught passes from in the NFL. Matt Hasselbeck, Austin Davis. He's caught the second most passes <laughs> in his career from Austin <laughs> Davis. That's unbelievable. Jake Locker, Nick Foles, Kellen Clemens, Sam Bradford, Kerry Collins. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Sean, Sean Hill, Hill, Vince Young, and the one, the only, Rusty Smith. And then I left one out because I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. And top 10 quarterback, Case Keenum. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Young Case uh, is going to take the NFL by storm. So, yeah, I mean, okay. So that's a valid point if we're talking Jared Cook's career. But, you know, what, yeah, I'm, I live in St. Louis, so I unfortunately saw a lot of Jared Cook. And he's just a guy, he plays games on Sunday, like he's in practice. He thinks. All he has to do is sprint. He he fights for the ball, like he quote unquote fights for the ball, like he's trying not to get hurt. And 
he makes mistakes so casually, you know, it's like he thinks he's, you know, it's like he thinks he's on the practice field and they're going to make a mistake and they're going to rerun the play, you know, one minute later. And that's just not how it works. And I just, you know, he's a great, great athlete, but I don't really see anything other than a straight line runner who doesn't want to get hurt. And I just don't think, I just don't think he has the, the, the package necessary to succeed in the NFL. I agree with you, except that I kind of don't. <laughs> well, I, there we go. I, you know, I really look at this and I say the Packers never sign free agents and, and he's not going to count against the compensatory pick um, formula because he was a street free agent, not an unsigned free or not an unrestricted free agent. So maybe this isn't as important, but they still don't even sign street free agents very often. Coach Mike McCarthy has talked for every press conference he's had since the end of the season about their need for a quote unquote big man running down the seam. And if cook is anything, he's a big guy that can run fast in a straight line. And, and when I look at this, I think they talked the coach talked over and over and over again about the, about the kind of guy they needed. They went out and got that guy for a purpose. They broke their free agent fast to go out and get this one specific player. And when I think about that, I have to think, he's at least going to be given a shot. Now, as you properly bring up, he has fumbled every shot he's ever been given, but playing with Aaron Rodgers has to mean something. It doesn't mean everything. He's not, it's not like he's going to stop making stupid penalties. It's not like he's going to catch every ball that comes his way, but it has to mean something. And I do think that there's some, there's some upside here for, for Cook. And I do think there's a lot of upside here for this entire offense with Jordy Nelson coming back. And as just kind of an aside, and this is something I've been kind of thinking about, and the, the Cook discussion brings it up. You know, if you look at ADPs right now, Aaron Rodgers is still being valued properly. I think he's a, the number three quarterback off the board. But these are these drafts that are happening right now, this early in the season before the draft, these are sharp, sharp drafts. Do you think that there's a chance as we get into the summer, as the public starts drafting, that based on what happened last year, we actually get to see Aaron Rodgers start to be undervalued. Do you think that that's possible at all? Um, probably not, to be honest. Because he's Aaron Rodgers. Because he's Aaron Rodgers, and the raw stats still weren't even as bad as his second-half play would have suggested. And yeah, I, I just don't know how much the general public will really delve into that. And they'll just see that it's Aaron Rodgers and – Really, end of season stats, you know, definitely not a career year. But what, I mean, I I, th- I feel like he yeah, his play was worse than the than the stat. I mean, not necessarily his play. The play of the Packers' offense was worse than Aaron Rodgers' stats suggest. But I think when you see his 2015 stats on paper, they don't look as bad as you might have thought. So, yeah, maybe you know, maybe you'll get like a three pick discount. But I'm definitely not counting on a three round discount. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I, it's just something I've been you know, bouncing around in my head. And like you said, he was, you know, we look at that season. We, oh, he was terrible. He's still the quarterback seven overall. He was still a quarterback one 50% of the time, which was, you know, it's pretty good. So I, I think I agree with you, but, but it's just something I've been kind of, you know, banging around in my head. And also this cook signing brings up an interesting discussion about the back end of the tight end one group. There are a ton of names like Gary Barnage, Ladarius Green, Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, Zach Miller, and even lower guys like Jared Cook, Clive Walford, Will Tide, Jordan Cameron, who are going to go very late or even not at all in fantasy drafts. I see all of those names, even guys like Cameron, who I think has some bounce back appeal, 
as possible back-end tight end ones this season. With the tight end group seemingly getting deeper every single year, how are you going to approach tight ends in your draft this year? Yeah, I agree it's going to be much, much deeper than... Well, you know, tight end kind of ended up being sort of deep last year, but to me it looked very shallow at the beginning of the year. But I agree this year is kind of the opposite, where all of a sudden, you know, it's like everywhere you look, there's an intriguing guy. And, you know, I still, I'm of the mind that if you don't get Rob Gronkowski, I probably still, I I always, you know, you, you you only have so many draft picks, and for whatever reason, I almost always use two of them on tight ends. And... I kind of mix and match the beginning of the season, and that'll probably remain my approach this year. But yeah, I mean, like so, so many intriguing guys, and I have everyone you mentioned, yeah, I kind of hate to mention this guy because he, a lot of ways he's been the rich man's Jared Cook. But I am very intrigued by Kobe Fleener in New Orleans, who absolutely, despite all of his Fleenerness, you know, he still caught fifty passes each of the past three years, even though he spent most of his time in a timeshare with Dwayne Allen and. You know, he's a pure pass catcher who, you know, he doesn't block much, but, you know, who does that remind you of? Uh, you know, Jimmy Graham in New Orleans. And he's going to an offense that made Ben Watson a legitimate tight end one last year. And he's a guy, a lot of people have so many, so many people have negative histories with Kobe Fleener. I feel like maybe the hype won't be, get quite as big as it maybe otherwise would have. So I think he's a guy you can maybe get a little later than he deserves to go, and someone who is very much in tight end one play for me. I'm glad you came out on the Fleener ledge with me, because when I was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Fleener, and Josh, you know, rightfully probably, you know, scoffed at me. But I mean, if you look at target, as I told him, targets matter. And the top tight end in New Orleans over the last five years has averaged 132 targets. Now, four of those years were Jimmy Graham. But as you said, Ben Watson still saw 110 targets last year. And that was with the husk of Marcus Colston roaming around the field aimlessly. So if you're going to tell me they brought in Fleener, they didn't have much cap space, they're having to restructure the deal of a punter to sign (laughs) Nick Fairley, you're going to tell me that they used that cap space on Fleener, that means something. And I think he's going to get the targets. I think he has a ton of upside. You know, I identified last year my guy. Every year I identify my tight end. I'm going to try to grab this guy in every league and hope that the price doesn't get too high. Last year it was Tyler Eifert. I think this year it's going to be Kobe Fleener. If it's not Ladarius Green, who is another guy I really like, I've talked about before, he averaged 1.55 half-point PPR fantasy points in San Diego. You know, without Martavis Bryant, you expect him to get a ton of targets. And so even if that average, that per target average falls, he's still looking at back in tight end one. The problem with both these guys, and you know, you mentioned the backlash on Fleener, the fact that everybody thinks probably rightfully that Kobe Fleener's terrible, that maybe his value stays down. I don't see that happening with Green. I mean, I think that his ADP is going to be a rocket ship to the moon. And so I probably don't land him. And so really my plan, I think, is just going to be at weight at tight end. I'm going to target a group that's going to be guys like Zach Ertz, Ladarius Green, Kobe Fleener, perhaps you know Dwayne Allen, perhaps Gary Barnage, who I think might be a little undervalued depending on what happens in the Cleveland quarterback situation. And if I miss on all those guys, I'll just wait even longer and I'll take a guy like Will Ty, Walford, Cook, Cameron, somebody like that. And we'll just play the odds. We'll just play the streaming game because I do think there's going to be a ton of depth at the position. Yeah, I agree. Tons of depth. And I also agree with, you know, it's hard not to be excited about Ladarius Green, who for his career, he's averaged over 14 yards per catch. That would have been third amongst tight ends last season. And, you know, no secret that there's going to be 
targets there for the taking with Martavis Bryant out, and you know Ben Roethlisberger is a guy who targeted probably to a fault. You know, made Heath Miller one of his most targeted pass catchers for the past over half decade. So uh, I think there are yeah many legitimate reasons for optimism with Ladarius Green. And like you said, he's unlike Fleener. I bet yeah, I can't think of a better word for his ADP other than rocket ship. So you won't be getting much of a discount on Ladarius Green. But there's a chance he's one of those guys you overpay for and it still pans out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I, I mentioned Eifert last year. That happened to Eifert last year where he crept up into the top 10 and people were like, well, maybe the price is too high. But if you looked at the opportunity, it was just it was too big to pass up. And, and he ended up for most of the year until he decided to to get hurt as he does. He ended up he ended up paying off. So, yeah, I agree. Even if Green's ADP gets too high, it, it still might be worth it. All right. Well, that. That pretty much wraps up all the news of the last two weeks. It's thankfully for you and me slowing down a little <laughs> bit, but we have about a month until the draft, and so uh, it will be prepared to to get busy again then. Yeah, you know uh, the the truest cliche in America has somehow become there is no off season in the NFL. You know, whoever designed the NFL off season schedule is, I mean, all of a sudden he's like the biggest genius ever at getting people to tweet about things that will not matter six months from now. So the end of, there is no off season. It's not a cliche. And uh, uh, yeah, that's a really pointless uh, rant there, but yeah. <laughs> Nothing better to end this podcast on <laughs> than a pointless rant. Thanks for coming on, Pat. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. All right. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Pat for coming on the show. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want a shout-out like the one I gave Big Ben 09, let us know what you think about the podcast in the reviews on iTunes. We're reading those, and we're using your feedback to make the show better. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.